Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what appeared like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Would you stand with me one final time this morning? I don't know if you noticed it, but I had to take a breath reading through all of those different names. There was like a... <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we are continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so this week and next week, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The following week, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And then as we move into our missions weekend, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to take this gospel everywhere. And by everywhere, I don't just mean our homes or our streets or even this city, I'm talking to the ends of the earth because that's God's will. He wants his name to be praised and made great everywhere. So um, this morning, as we're getting ready to dive into, I want to talk just for a little bit before um, I have you sit down about engaging spirit baptism, okay? Depending on your spiritual or your denominational background, um, some of you, this topic might excite you um, it might be something that you, you've heard about your whole life, or some of you, maybe you've seen things around charismatic churches, maybe you've seen chaos and you've tended to kind of shy away from it, or maybe even for a certain perspective it's almost scared you, or some of you maybe even hold to just a completely untrue understanding of it. Like I remember I took a college course and it was an American religious history, and uh, I, I was already a pastor at that time, I was finishing out my history degree, and I remember... Um, being in that class, and uh, the kid who was sitting next to me, he raised his hands. We were getting to, like, modern-day history, and it had talked about the Assemblies of God. And he goes, the Assemblies of God believes if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. And I went, 
I rose my hand up and I go, that ain't true. And he goes, yes, it is. And I go, that ain't true. He said, I'm an assumption of God pastor and I can tell you emphatically that is not true. And I said, I pointed, I pulled out my website and I showed him it. There's a lot of confusion sometimes and there's a lot of not understanding. And so what I'm going to say is this. I'm going to prepare you. We're, you're going to have a lot of scripture thrown at you. This is going to be a lot more teaching than even preaching what you normally get from me. So I'll be talking fast. So turn to the person next to you and say, buckle up your seatbelt. Because it's going to be a fast ride. It's going to be a good one. I, I think you're going to enjoy it. But let's go to the Father and invite him to come and speak to us today and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts and lives. Father, we come before you. Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, we ask that we would be people who are marked by your presence, filled with your spirit. That, Lord, we would be a church that would be known for our love in this community. And that, Lord, we would make an impact not just here in Harvard City, not just in Blackford County. But that, God, you would continue to grow us to be a church that makes a global impact. Lord, that lives would be changed across countries all across this world. As we see, Lord, you moving and bringing people close to you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, as, as a church, um, our mission statement is to develop biblically sound believers who reflect Christ's character. And so uh, I, I want us to be like the Bereans. And again, you know, I don't know what denominational background you've come from. And so uh, Paul in Acts chapter 17 this is what it has to save the Bereans. And it says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. That's the kind of people that we need to be. People who are rooted in God's word and what it has to say. And so let's dive in and see what God has in store for us. So well, let's start by talking about just understanding the background of Pentecost, Okay. This is what the, the scripture we just read earlier told us. It says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he has promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember as a kid, one of the first questions whenever I got to this that I started asking myself, and, I, and I'm, this is what I'm hoping we'll slightly uncover today, is why did Jesus make them wait? You think about that. Jesus could have just the moment that he resurrected from the dead, he could have been like, hey, boom, here, here's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit right now while I'm with you in your presence. Why didn't it go that way? And I remember asking myself and thinking about that. But how do you know that God has got really good timing? He is never late, but he's also very rarely ever early. <laughs> I hate waiting. Does anybody else, is there anybody, like, like driving down the road, like today, um, I actually pulled down a side street because there was a car in front of me. I hope it was no one in this congregation, but, <laughs> but they were going, like, at least eight miles underneath the speed limit, and, like, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I got to preach the word of God in a few minutes, so I got to get off this road so that, you know, like, I, I hate waiting, but oftentimes, God has waiting in store for us because he has a purpose behind it, Right? 
always there's a plan and a purpose. So if we're going to be um, a people who understand what Pentecost is, you know, somebody's God is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the moving of the Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we, we need to ground ourselves in understanding the what is this and why is this. So first and foremost, Pentecost was the festival of first fruits, okay? The festival of first fruits. Um, it's where Pentecost actually derives its name from. Pentecost is the Greek word for 50, okay? Greek word for 50. It was 50 days after the presentation of the first sheaf to be reaped of the barley harvest, or 50 days from the Sunday after Passover. Now, you say, why 50? Well, that's seven weeks, and seven, if you know anything about Scripture, seven is like, it's like the number of completion, Okay, so as we understand this, if this was something that had been taking place for quite a long time, the festival of first fruits. Among the Hebrew and Aramaic speaking Jews, it was known as the Feast of Weeks or as the Day of First Fruits. It was a harvest festival. And in Exodus chapter 23, 16, we see that sheaves of barley, the winter crop, they would be brought to the temple every single day, beginning on Passover until Pentecost, the beginning of the harvest season. That was 50 days later. This was a joyous celebration with people bringing in the first fruits from all over the area. They would come and bring it to the temple. This is what they would actually do. So if you were like a farmer and you were, had your field out and you had all of your crops in it, the first crops that started to spring up and you would know, they would often go and they would take a ribbon and they would tie it around it because they knew that that was their first fruit. That was the first that appeared. It was the first. And so what they were saying is that the very first that came, this is where we get our concept of tithing, the first and the best. They would say, that is going to be dedicated to the Lord because I, that provision has come from him and I will bring it back to him with glad celebration. It was a really cool festival. They would come and they would, they would get, take like oxen and they would gild the horns with like, like make it almost look like golden and they would stick um, a, a wreath around the oxen as they would be coming into Jerusalem and they'd be singing songs and celebrating and they would have people that would meet them as they were coming in and they would say, we come in peace as they would be rejoicing and celebrating for the provision that God had bestowed upon them. This would be in temple times and during the tabernacle with great pomp and circumstance. There'd be a ceremony as they would come in. The pilgrimers, they would arrive at the foothills of Jerusalem and they would adorn their fruits and their baskets that they were carrying of the first fruits. And they would declare again, we enter in peace and a musician would play a flute and he would lead them on a procession towards the temple. It was a day of great celebration. But there's a second thing as we understand the background of Pentecost is they also celebrate it because it was also whenever it was the presentation of the law, the Torah, okay? Passover celebrates, it marked the beginning. Sorry, Passover celebrated, it marked the beginning of Israel's physical freedom from slavery. But Pentecost marked their spiritual re redemption as they were presented the law by God. So what you get is a Passover, they're delivered from Egypt. 50 days later, they receive the law on, they receive the law, the Torah from God. And I want you to think through these timelines with me. The Passover, God rescues and he delivers Israel from the clutches of slavery in Egypt. And then he leads them out into the wilderness and then towards Mount Sinai. Pentecost, 50 days later, seven weeks, the number of completion. On Pentecost, the law is given to the nation of Israel. 
The law revealed who God was. The law brought conviction of sin. And the law revealed the very heart and nature of God. I want you to piece your minds on this because you're going to see in just a second how these two things merge together into one and explain what began and what happened on the day of Pentecost. So that's the Old Testament timelines. Now let's think about the New Testament. At Passover, Jesus, the one and true good spotless lamb of God, he's given for us. He's slain on our behalf and he frees us not from a physical slavery to Egypt, but from a spiritual slavery and bondage to our sin. 40 days later, he, he, he spends 40 days with his disciples. He lingers with them. He talks to them. He's seen by hundreds of different individuals. And he's talking to the disciples. And the opening text, I love it because the disciples are just like us. They almost colossally always get it wrong. Right, So they're meeting with Jesus and they're just like, hey, are you coming now? Are you going to restore your physical kingdom? Are you going to be like our king and we're going to overthrow Rome and boot them out and we're going to do this? And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> that day and that hour isn't known to you, not known by me. It's known by the Father in heaven. He goes, but what I'm going to tell you is I need you to wait to be patient because the Holy Spirit is coming in. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so they wait. So for 40 days he's with them, and then they wait 10 more days in Jerusalem. 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, they are gathered together in that place. And I want you to see the connection here. The Spirit, Jesus said, would reveal God, bring back to the memory the word of God, bring conviction of sin, and set their hearts on fire to beat with that which was of God's. Notice the connection between the two. So first fruits, joyful celebration and surrender based upon the goodness of God, where they gave their first and their best in recognition of all he's done. And then the law, a greater revealing of the nature, the character, and the reality of God, a call to be more like him and to make him known. Pentecost is when those two become merged into one. So let's talk about what happened on that day. Let's talk about what happened on that day. We, we read it in the text earlier. So Jerusalem is filled with people from all different kinds of nations. If you remember, it says whenever they heard them speaking in other tongues, there was the long list that I had to take a gulp on, right? <laughs> They're all coming together because they've pilgrimaged back to Jerusalem to celebrate in this harvest festival. So they're gathered there. There's people who speak all different kinds of tongues and languages, and suddenly they hear this loud noise. They hear something going on, and they walk out, and they're like, all these dudes are from Galilee, and yet they're speaking my language. What is going on? That's the setting of what's taking place here. So there's a pilgrimage that's happening. There's many nations, many languages, many cultures, many customs that are present, but it's full of people whose hearts are hungry, and they're coming to God with joyful surrender. Secondly, who is there? We know this for, um, if you read in the book of Acts, in that upper room, you find the disciples, you find many of Jesus' family that's there, Mary and some of the other women. They're present and they're praying together and they're seeking God. They're together in unity and they're there with surrendered hearts saying, God, we want what you have in store for us. And then the supernatural happens. If you have your Bibles and you open up to Acts chapter 2, it won't be on the screen. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire, it appeared and settled on each of them. 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here's the question that we, and across all the different denominational backgrounds, you have to wrestle with is, was this to be a one-time event, or was this to be a gift that was to be poured out for just a limited time? Was this a one-time event, or was this a gift to be poured out for just a limited time? So let's review. There's three key things that happened. Number one, there was a mighty rushing wind. Number two, there was appeared to be flames or tongues of fire that sat upon their head, and then they spoke in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So fire and wind, let's talk about that first. Because fire and wind will not happen at all anymore in the regards to whenever the Holy Spirit baptizes people throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Like you're going to, if you read through all the, the book of Acts, which is the, the book that details the growth of the church and the church's history, there's countless times that people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but never again do you see flames and tongues of fire upon their head or a mighty rushing wind. So then the question is, why was it there the first time? Let's just be honest though. How cool would that have been to see? <laughs> right? You're just in a room out of nowhere. It sounds like a hurricane's going on and then you look around and there's fire above people and you're like, that's kind of cool. Like, that's a moment I wish I could, like, transport back to and be like, I would love to see that. So why the fire and wind? And there, there's a reason for this. It would not have been lost onto the people present. Think back with me to the people of God as they left Egypt. How was the presence of God seen? By a pillar of cloud during the day and by a fire at night. The presence and the leading of God often took that shape and that form as they were being led through the wilderness, okay? Not only that, but how were they protected and provided for when they needed to cross the Red Sea? It says specifically that God blew a wind from the east and separated the waters and they were able to walk across on dry ground. It would not have been lost on those first century Christians to realize that there was these markers of the fire in the wind to let them know that this is not something you need to fear. This is an act of God. So those two we do not see repeated anymore throughout the New Testament. But, but the third we do, which was speaking in other tongues. Fire and wind would no longer be markers that would continue after this day. They were present at the first, at that first outpouring. But they would not be normative to continue on past that. But what would continue? I want you to follow along with me. If, if you see Mark chapter 16, this is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Acts 10, 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared. This is what we find here is there's a, a Gentile that Peter is sent to. And when Peter sees and he hears them speaking in other tongues, he realizes that not only salvation, but the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. And it absolutely just completely shifts the whole function of the church to that point. They were so focused on going just to Jews everywhere they went. Peter comes back and he's like, we baptized and we've seen these Gentiles who have accepted God and who have received the Holy Spirit and it radically changes the entire outlook of how the church continues to grow. Acts eleven fifteen, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Acts chapter 19, it says, Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. 
Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says this, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. So the question then that, that we ask is why speaking in other tongues? Why, why was that a, a marker, a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why was that present that day and, and what can we glean from that? I want to talk to you just a little bit and I want you to engage your brain. Go back to Remember Sunday school, how many of you remember Sunday school class with like the flannel boards? You know what I'm talking about where they like post the little different things? All right, I, w- I want you to think back to Sunday school class when you were a kid. And we're going to talk about from Babel to Pentecost. From Babel to Pentecost. The story of the Tower of Babel is found in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And Pentecost is found in Acts chapter 2. And I want us to compare these two events because I think it's very interesting. The actions at the time of the Power of Babel are pretty prolific and profound. A group of people had come together basically to stand in defiance against God and say, no, we're better than you. We're going to build this tower that's going to reach the heavens. We're going we're to basically show just our power, our might. It was a building and a construction that was centered on human pride, on humans going, no, no, I am God. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm good. I'm, I mean, it's, it was essentially a tower to sin you could think of. It was a desire. It was rebellion, desire to be God, a refusal to surrender to him and live underneath his authority. And the result is, uh, Babel in cha- Genesis chapter 11, God confuses their languages, Right? So they were all there together. They're, they're, they're constructing this tower. God confuses their languages, and it says that they scatter out because now they can't understand each other. So the response was this. God moves, and he sees their disunity that was fueled by pride and rebellion, and their languages are mixed, and they scatter. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and you see the exact opposite. You see a people who have gathered together whose actions are characterized by surrender, by waiting on God, relying on God, pursuing his presence in his heart with the desire to be used by him, but yet saying, I want to be used by God, not be God, right? And the result is the exact same, but now they have new unlearned languages that instead of disunifying them and scattering them, unifies them and brings people to know the glory of God. It says of all those nations that were there on the day of Pentecost, it says they heard him and they heard the people and they didn't know what they were saying. But it says that they heard them extolling and giving praises to the glory of God. The language, instead of bringing disunity, it brought unity and it brought people to God. Power, unity, mission, bringing people closer to God to fulfill his command to go to the ends of the earth. It was unity and mission that was fueled by surrender and pursuit of the Spirit. Think of this with me again. Babel, new languages that they couldn't understand divided and separated them because of their rebellion. Pentecost, new languages that they could not understand but that empowered them, unified them, and sent them on mission. So all that brings us to go, we need to understand spirit baptism We need to understand it from this perspective that it was a promise and a promise for power. I want you to think with me from um, the book of Luke and Acts. I don't know if you know this, but the author of the book of Luke and the book of Acts is the same person. They're companion books. He writes to a person named Theophilus, okay? So the book of Luke is all about Jesus' ministry while on earth, 
and it comes to a close, and then the book of Acts open, and he continues his letter again now to Theophilus, and he's telling him, now this is what's happened after the ascension. This is how, this is the, the growth of the church. This is the acts of the apostles. This is what happened as Jesus has left and the spirit has been given. So Luke 1, it opens with this. It seemed good to me, having perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write to you, excellent Theophilus, and then Acts chapter um, one also goes this way. The former account I made, and he's referencing the book of Luke, O Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taking up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So again, Luke is the message of the gospel. Acts is the history of the church. And what do we see uncovered here throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts? Number one, Pentecost and spirit baptism was a promise. Read with me from Luke chapter 24. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, that there is forgiveness of the sins for all those who repent. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send you the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you with power from heaven. So this is what we see. Number one, spirit baptism was a promise of the Father. Number two, spirit baptism was given to empower disciples. Listen to how the, the baptism was described. It says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. Notice Jesus is emphasizing this. He, he, he's reminding his disciples, listen, this is something that is promised to you from God the Father. Just as the Father promised, but stay there in the city. The Holy Spirit comes, fills you with power from heaven. And then in Acts chapter 1, Luke continues on and he says that Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How many of you know the church still needs power? How many of you have ever been in one of those situations where you're talking with someone, whether that be witnessing or they've got a serious thing going on in their life and you realize that you've got no words to say? And in that moment, you're like, God, I need you to speak through me. God, I need you to, to utilize, like, my life in this moment. There's been times where literally, like, I, I know for a fact that the Holy Spirit has spoke through me because after it came out of my mouth, I was like, that sounded pretty wise. So obviously it didn't come from me. <laughs> right? Like, we need this. The spirit baptism, it was given to empower disciples to be witnesses everywhere. Thirdly, Spirit baptism empowered the church in building each other up. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 12. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, which we're going to get to in a couple weeks. But the same spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Every person in this room, you have been gifted by God. And there's gifts that he wants to even bestow upon you and grow inside you. It might be teaching, it might be hospitality, it might be administration, it might be leadership, it might be giving, it might be serving. There's many different spiritual gifts and we're gonna uncover them, like I said, in a couple of weeks. But, but 
They're all meant to be used. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. I don't know if you know this, but we need help. And this is meant to be a place where we come and we support and we love and, and we help each other. Spirit baptism empowered the church to build each other up. When you read through all of the New Testament, you hear these countless one another statements. Love one another. Forgive one another. Build one another up. That is only capable and powerful if we can do it in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Number four, spirit baptism ignited in the disciples a passion for the lost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I remember hearing um, Dick Brogdon speak. Dick Brogdon is a missionary who um, helped kick off and lead a, an organization that's called Live Dead that essentially sends missionaries to unreached people groups many times to places that once you go there, you best be prepared never to make it back because you might die on the field. They go to places that we can't even write and list next to their name because to do so could put them into physical harm and jeopardy for their lives. And they go there with the sake of going for the, the great name of Jesus. And I never forget hearing him speak. And one of the things that he said is he challenged uh, like our modern day thinking. He goes, when you think about the Apostle Paul, he goes, why do you think he did the things that he did? And the answer Dick Brogdon gave kind of astounded me. He goes, it's because he wanted Jesus to come back. He said, one of the great promises of Jesus is that before his return, that the gospel would reach to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you something? It hasn't yet. I remember standing inside the Museum of the Bible and seeing the countless thousands of different languages that don't even have a single verse translated into their language. The Holy Spirit, on that day of Pentecost, it did something Unlike it started a flame among the people of God for the greatness of the name of Jesus. To equip them to be witnesses everywhere for the sake of Jesus. One of the things that I love about the Assemblies of God is, listen, we're, we're a denomination that's just, just recently celebrating like our 100th anniversary. And yet, when you look at the growth and the expansion, it's become because this denomination has been passionate about the name of Jesus across the world. Missionaries have been sent. I, I, I think the last I looked, I, I, I can tell you this. I was going to throw out a number, but I don't want to say the wrong one because I'm going to tell you about it in a couple weeks. But we're talking about millions of people who've been led to Jesus. as spirit-filled Christians have went all across this planet for the name of Jesus. But can I tell you something? Yes, we need to continue to do that, but we also need to do it in our city and in our families and in our neighborhoods, in our spheres of influence. And if we are going to do that, we need to be empowered by the Spirit to take that message everywhere. Because there's going to be moments where you don't have the right words and you don't know what to say. And the Spirit can speak through you that's what I love about whenever you think about the conjunction of those two holidays. You, you have the festival of first fruits. You have the people coming with glad surrender 
saying, God, I'm placing my gifts before you because they are all yours to begin with. Would you take it and use it? This is the first and the best. God, take it and use it. But then also they're, they're celebrating the Torah, the revealing of God. And at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see both coming into beautiful conjunction with each other. A glad, surrendered heart saying, God, can you, can you take this life? Anybody ever looked in the mirror and been like, God, can you take this life? Right? I remember whenever I felt that call into ministry, I was like, God, I'm not sure you've got much to work with here. But if you'll have it, I'll give it. And as we with joyful surrender lay our lives down and say, God, will you take me? Will you fill me with your spirit? Siri wanted to hop into my sermon. (laughs) God, will you take this life and use it? As he baptizes us, notice what also happens. It's just like the giving of the Torah. God is further revealed. Conviction for sin steps in. Revealing of his heart and life fills that believer. We're going to talk more about this next week. But as I bring this to a close today, this is what I want to challenge us with is this. As we think about this and as we wrap our minds around it, I want us to be a people that long for his presence. I want to resound like with Moses saying, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not moving at all. I don't know about you, but listen, I need his presence every single day. I need his presence to shape me, to mold me, to change me, to empower me. Because there's people in my family that I'm still praying for. I've got a cousin that um, we're going to have a family Christmas coming up here soon. And I'm praying somehow this next year, I want to see him come to know Jesus. I'm praying for that. I'm believing for that. We've been, as a family, we've been praying for some of our family members for decades. And we've watched God just do amazing things. That, it's just been astounding. But there's still one more. And I'm praying for him. There's people in your family who are far from God. I don't know about you, but I need God to speak through me in those moments because I, if the flesh, <laughs> if Josh Johnson comes out, we're all in trouble. But the Holy Spirit is so beautiful and so good. Not only that, can I tell you something more than just that? We need his presence. Because how many of you, how many of you have ever walked into church and like it was the last thing you wanted to do that morning? Come on, let's be real. You had a lot going on in your life. There was a lot of wounds, a lot of things going through there. And then have you ever had that moment where like you walk in and someone who knows you, who loves you, who cares about you, just comes alongside you and they've put their arm around you. And out of nowhere, God has just given them a word for your life and they've spoken over you. You know what I'm talking about? I love those moments because in those moments, God uses us to build each other up, to strengthen the church, to edify each other, to bring glory to his name. Let's be a church that's surrendered to his leading and pursuing his heart. Would you stand with me today? Wherever you're at, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And can we collectively as a church say, God, we want 
all that you have in store for us. God, we want to be moved and used by you. Lord, like the people in the Old Testament, God, we want to bring to you our lives in joyful surrender. Our first and our best is brought to you. God, would you take it? Would you use it for your great name? Joyful surrender. We say, God, I give my life back to you. I am not king. I am not ruler of it. God, I want to be led by your spirit in my conversations, in my reactions, in what I desire, in what I long for, in what I pursue, in what I do. Holy Spirit, I need you to lead and guide me. Lord, I want to I want to be a part of a church that's like an Acts first century church that God, we see you do incredible things. We see people healed. God, we see people set free. We see people who have never walked through a church door, walk through these doors, receive love and kindness and find a home. But Lord, that's going to happen if we're a people that surrender to your presence. So would you do that in us, God? And in doing so, would you also, Lord, take not just our first fruits, but would you further, like the law, would you reveal yourself to us? May we have a heart that beats after your heart, a heart for people who are far from you. That you would shape us and mold us, change us, we pray. We ask all this in your son's great and holy name. Amen.